Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Measure the World, a podcast produced by scientists for scientists. My gut is telling me that this is where we're going to see the best bang for our buck in terms of return on investment for improving carbon in our soils. It's going to be um, in the Western United States. We're going to see drastic improvements. And I'll tell you from some of my experiences with other soil health projects that if you do things, quote, right, you might see a change in less than five years. In fact, we had a project over on the Western Slope of Colorado where we saw changes in three years in terms of organic carbon accumulation in the soil surface in three years. That's a small taste of what we have in store for you today. We Measure the World explores interesting environmental research trends, how scientists are solving research issues, and what tools are helping them better understand measurements across the entire soil plant atmosphere continuum. Today's guests are Steve Blecker and Jim Ippolito. Steve Blecker is a research soil scientist with the Ag Experiment Station at Colorado State University. He obtained his bachelor's at Penn State University and graduate degrees in pedology at Colorado State University. His research focuses on sustainable agriculture, soil health, and rangeland restoration. Steve is actively involved in collaborative projects with the farming community and contributes to the advancement of sustainable and resilient agricultural practices. Jim Ippolito is currently a professor in the School of Environment and Natural Resources at Ohio State University. He obtained his bachelor's in agronomy from the University of Delaware and his graduate degrees in soil chemistry, fertility, and quality from Colorado State University. Jim is an expert in and teaches soil fertility and soil health principles and practices. He is actively involved in research, teaching, and extension activities, working to improve soil health and fertility for the benefit of farmers, land managers, and the environment. And today they're here to talk about their research into agroecosystem management, soil health, and ecosystem sustainability and resiliency. So Steve and Jim, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Brad. All right. So today we wanted to talk about a few of your projects and research interests. But first, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved in soil science and your particular specialties? Yeah, uh, I just sort of wandered into soils, really. I mean, I didn't really, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at Penn State, and just kind of, was kind of wandering around, taking different classes. And the day I took the, I took an intro to soils class, and then it just something just clicked. I was like, wow, this is really cool. I mean, people actually study soils. I mean, wow. So I just took all the soils classes I could get a hold of, and then my undergrad ran out, and I, I just wanted to keep going, so turned to grad school and been learning about soils ever since. What got you involved in, in kind of the agricultural side and with extension activities? Well, that's pretty recent mm. uh, development for me. I was, I was doing more uh, basic uh, research for most of my, for a lot of my career anyway. And then just kind of once, when I came back to Colorado and in my current position, it was just this opportunity to do a lot of more, um, kind of applied research, just kind of work with growers in different agro ecosystems and just kind of, I know it was exciting to me to be able to, you know, instead of, I used to publish in, you know, not that I don't publish anymore, but in you know, scientific journals and maybe read by a handful of people, but now it's just, it's more, I don't know, I'm more interested in, you know, kind of connecting with mm-hmm. growers and just letting, helping them understand mm-hmm. um, their soils that they're working with. And Jim, how about you? Well, my, 
my path into soils is much like Steve's. I, when I was an undergrad, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was geared towards sciences. My science is in my blood, basically, in my genes. And I knew I didn't want to go into chemistry. My, my family has a long history of being in the chemistry field. So I steered clear of chemistry. I really steered clear of chemistry. And then I stumbled across a horticulture class when I was a freshman. I said, huh, that's interesting. Let me go see if there's any other classes that are offered within the College of Ag at the University of Delaware. And just like Steve, I took Intro to Soil Science, and I was hooked. I just, it just felt right. And lo and behold, there is a lot of chemistry in soil science. And so I'm a chemist. I consider myself a soil chemist, and I, I love it. I just love what I do. Um, I've been involved with a lot of different sectors, though. Um, a lot of ag over my 30 plus year career. In fact, most of it has been in ag, but also in, in sites that have been contaminated with heavy metals. Mm-hmm. More recently, sites that are contaminated with um, these forever chemical compounds, PFASs yeah. and yeah. PFOAs. And, you know, I just solving problems. I'm, I'm really an applied soil chemist I, and I love what I do and and I've known Steve we both known each other for oh my gosh since 1990 we went to grad school together at Colorado State University and our paths have just done this we've um, interwoven our paths over the over the years so which is why we still work together mm-hmm. oh, that's good that's good that you guys still like each other then after working together so long yeah more or less <laughs> um and and, and I, I I do hope that um, maybe we can come back and talk about those forever chemicals. That was kind of a, a side, you know, side discussion that um, I think is really interesting and, and pertinent to a lot of stuff that's been, you know, popping up recently. I mean, but anyway, we'll come. Maybe we'll come back to that later. Um, so one of the one of the I guess themes um, or I guess overarching uh, research interests that that seems to be within both of your. Um, uh, specialties deals with soil health or what we would now call soil health. I know in the intro, um, Jim, we talked about your, or I mentioned that your degrees were in soil chemistry, fertility, quality, which is kind of what now we would term soil health. Um, I was wondering if you, if you guys could just kind of give us, uh, give our audience a, a basic overview of what we, what is considered now soil health. What are the, the, the principles that, that go into soil health? You know, how do we, how do we quantify or measure uh, soil health and and kind of all those kinds of things. Okay, I'll take a crack at it and then uh, fill in the gaps, Steve. So sure. you know when I think about soil health, and when I talk about soil health to a lot of people that maybe are not strongly familiar with soil health, this is how I approach it. I approach it much like discussing human health, and when we go to the doctor because maybe we don't feel right. And the doctor runs a bunch of tests on us, right? So a doctor may ask you to run on a treadmill, for example, to take a look at maybe physical health. You'll get a blood draw. So blood might be chemical health. And sooner or later down the line, somebody's probably going to start taking some gut microbiome samples from you. And that's a measure of biological health. So when we talk about health, especially with humans, we oftentimes never talk about health directly, but we look at the, the measurements that we think ge- are geared towards human health or the like good human health, if you will. We did the same thing with soils. 
So in soils, we look at soil physical characteristics, chemical characteristics, and certainly biological characteristics. And we look for the, sometimes we call it the sweet spot, at least that's what I call it, where all three of these physical, chemical, and biological overlap. And, you know, you can think of three circles overlapping. Many of us have used this analogy before. And looking at where that circle in the center encompasses the, quote, best of physical, chemical, and soil uh, biological health. So that's, that's my approach. And to be honest with you, I've used this approach for, oh, my gosh, almost my entire career without even knowing it. What do you think, Steve? Man, I can't. That's a hard act to follow, dude. I, I like the <laughs> analogy with the human health. I hadn't thought of that. That's pretty good. But no, I mean, you're right. It's uh, the name has changed. It didn't always used to be soil health, but the things we measure, I mean, those three major biology, chemistry, and the physical properties of soil. I mean, you're right. I mean, that's it's how they interact to determine, you know, how you know healthy your soil is going to be for you know what the end use is. In our case. A lot of it's agriculture. So, how do these uh, different properties interact? So, so along with, with with what you're talking about, with um, you know, I guess using continuing with that that analogy or metaphor of of human health, um, are there? I guess there's two questions that I that I have here, and maybe they're kind of kind of overlapping here. But within when we're dealing with human health, you know, we will check our pulse to see if we're still alive, right? That, that's kind of a very basic, uh, basic overview of how you're doing, right? If you're, you're healthy, you're alive. Uh, uh, but, but like you said, there's, there's other aspects as well. Um, are there, and I don't, I don't want to say are there shortcuts, but are there, are there uh, particular um, measurements or um, characteristics of the soil itself where you can kind of say, Hey, kind of just to take a quick snapshot and say soil is doing pretty good because of X, Y, and Z, or is it something where you really do have to dig in to each of those physical, biological, and chemical characteristics to really say how healthy that soil is? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't know if there's any shortcuts because every soil is different and every, even if the soil is the same, the management practices under which the soil is, is under, well, that's <laughs> the management practices that are being applied to a soil, even if the soil is the same, changes the soil. We all know that. So quantifying soil health is, it can be somewhat tricky because if you want to take a shortcut and you know a shortcut in one soil, it may not be applicable for a completely different soil. Mm -hmm. And so I think about the programs that we run at Colorado State University and, and Ohio State University, and we look at a number of different indicators or soil characteristics that encompass physical, chemical, and biological health. And what we try to do is tease out the minimum data set that would be for a spe you know, specific soil or maybe a specific management system or something along those lines, which is basically what we're doing with a number of projects that we have at Colorado State University. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to have a producer send in a soil sample to our testing facility or another testing facility to analyze for 20 different characteristics when maybe only three are necessary. Right. That's, that's the sweet spot that we look for in these different systems. Mm -hmm. I guess would soil health, like, like you said, there's, there's differences between um, 
you know, how soil might look or a particular type of soil within varied, you know, agricultural or uh, other land management uses. Um, how would, how would a, I, I guess, what would a healthy soil look like um, if we want to, you know, stereotype or, or whatever, what would a healthy soil look like in, you know, an agricultural uh, field versus a healthy soil, say, even just in, you know, general environment. So with, you know, within, I don't know if, if, if getting into forestry is, is too deep for you guys or whatever. Um, and versus, you know, I don't know if, if we're dealing with soil health as much in, you know, more of the, the civil engineering side of things. Um, there's different things that they, they look at for that, but how would, how would a healthy soil, what would a healthy, healthy soil look like in those different, um, situations and, is there some some overlap, or or would you expect completely different um, soil profile? I mean, not profiles to, I don't want to say you know, um, but different uh, soil li like suites of characteristics within those different um, uh, regions or spaces. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, our, uh, the big concern in Colorado is water. I mean, we're mm. a pretty dry state, and anything you can do to improve the water holding capacity of the soil i mean that generally will help the soil health it will also help the you know, plant productivity so i mean you can just go out into a field and dig up the surface of soil and you know you can see how well it's aggregated you mm -hmm. know what kind of pore space can the water move freely down into the soil kind of so it can be stored you know how much organic matter you'll always hear can't get away from soil health without talking about organic matter mm -hmm. or soil carbon because it's just it, it's so key to so many different properties mm -hmm. one of which of course is its ability to hold water so if you i mean if you go out in a field and look side by side you can just pull out a clot of soil and you know see how well it's aggregated versus you know i've seen people like the nrcs they'll take a chunk of soil that's healthy and put it in like a big uh, clear cylinder and let it sit there mm -hmm. And if it's, you know, the healthier soil kind of stays together, the aggregates hold mm -hmm. together, whereas a soil that's, you know, quote unquote, less healthy tends to, you know, kind of break apart and fall apart much quicker. So mm -hmm. that's, there's a lot of visual cues you can look at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, I guess, what are some, uh, are there some general principles, I guess, for land managers, um, to think about when it comes to just overall improving their soil health. I mean, if there were just key steps or, um, yeah, just kind of a basic outline for how to improve your soil health, um, what would those look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I think <laughs> having a PhD, I often use the term, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because it really depends on where you're located. So. I think about the projects that we have where we're using meter group equipment. We, we're using them dominating uh, the Western United States, specifically Colorado and then in other surrounding states, but mainly Colorado. And if we're talking about the Western US, so in Colorado, for example, a basic outline would be like Steve just mentioned, focusing first on carbon. Mm -hmm. And anything that you can do to improve organic carbon content in the soils of Colorado, for example, you're going to win the battle and you likely will see an improvement in soil health. And, and there's a reason behind this because the soils in Colorado are naturally low in organic carbon content. 
and they've become lower over time because of historical agricultural practices. So anything we can do to increase organic carbon in these soils that are relatively fragile, that typically have less than probably three and a half percent organic carbon or organic matter to begin with, is a bonus in the Western United States. And that leads to what Steve mentioned, increases in water holding capacity, aggregate stability, Carbon is a food source for microorganisms that enhance nutrient cycling and turnover, which enhances the chemistry of soils, and it's all linked together. And, and if you looked at those three circles, biology, chemistry, and physical aspects, the sweet spot where those three overlap is carbon. Hmm. It's really carbon in the center. That's how I look at it. Uh, I'm not a carbon chemist. I'm definitely not a carbon chemist, but we measure carbon, and we've measured carbon in our soils for decades. Uh, Steve and I have done this for 30 or 30 plus years together. Yeah, because this ties in with what we're doing with the equipment. And so, you know, in the Western U.S., we're drought prone. And mm -hmm. so anything we can do to increase water holding capacity of our soils is a benefit. So in terms of soil health, we're looking for systems that producers manage that get a little bit more bang for the buck in terms of carbon storage and subsequently utilizing meter groups equipment to take a look at the changes in moisture holding capacity over time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's just really, it just stands out to me is when you look at the soil health um, research that's been done across the U.S. And if you look at the areas of the U.S. where meter group equipment is located, there is a big hole, and it's mm. almost hovered over Colorado. Hmm. So that's what we're trying to do with our projects is to fill that gap. Awesome. We're, we're glad to help out with that as well. So, um, no, I think it definitely, definitely, I think that that is one thing. And because um, we, we see this in, in lots of different, in, in varied applications, whether it, you're talking about soil moisture or um, other soil characteristics, but also... We have that with, um, you know, with uh, weather monitoring or, or other, whatever uh, sorts of systems. We have a lot of these, these regional mesonets uh, that are going up um, throughout the United States and elsewhere. Um, and, but creating, we've, we've also had people on our podcast talking about, yeah, creating networks of uh, soil moisture um, uh, uh, data and um, soil moisture, water potential, soil, yeah, soil water potential, those kinds of matrix potential, that kind of stuff. Um, so definitely, yeah, being able to, to connect, um, uh, we, we want to be able to, to know what's going on in the here and now. Um, but also there's, there's this, um, added, um, imperative, you know, th this, this added, uh, I guess, urgency to also be able to predict what's or forecast what's going to be uh, happening in the next, you know, five, 10, 50 years, um, down the road as well. And if we don't have, yeah, that good data right now to work with, then then we're, you know, just kind of uh, shooting in the dark type of thing. So well, that's one thing we're kind of, I mean, we're kind of looking into because we have, uh, we have meter sensors scattered over a pretty large chunk of the state in all kinds of different agro ecosystems, irrigated, non-irrigated, rangeland. So that, you know, it got us thinking, but I mean, there's initially the idea is to, you know, let the producer understand like what his practices are doing to soil moisture. But also at the same time, we have, as you mentioned, I mean, we have, we're, we're kind of just 
inadvertently, I guess, building this network mm. of mm -hmm. soil moisture mm -hmm. monitoring stations across the state that, and yeah, so that might be able to help us answer, you know, some of these questions about, you know, how the different systems respond to drought and so on. Right, right. And I, I want to come back to this too, in, in particular, in talking with your, uh, talking with you about, uh, about your, your, uh, main research project, uh, because there's a lot that, that we want to know and understand about, um, uh, about the instrumentation, but also about, um, just the, the challenges in creating, like you said, in inadvertently or, or, uh, or on purpose, uh, creating these networks and, um, and being able to, to say, okay, what are the challenges in, um, having, you know, all sorts of instrumentation just all over the place about, you know, insulation and, uh, and, and connecting them all and not to mention, you know, collecting the data as well as analyzing it. And we're dealing with, you know, getting into big data issues and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, so there's a lot of, a lot of interesting, uh, uh, questions that we can talk about here in a second with that. Um, I want to let's let's switch gears and um, we did have um, some folks here that wanted to know more about uh, there in Colorado the the star program uh, there in conjunction with the uh, Department of Agriculture there in Colorado can you tell us a little bit about that that program and and what it's all about <laughs> Steve's gonna pawn, pawn it off on me okay so the star program is something that was not initially created in Colorado. It initially began in Champaign County, Illinois. It stands for Saving Tomorrow's Agricultural Resources Program. And in Illinois, it was geared around water quality. Mm -hmm. So programs, i.e. management of different parcels of land to help improve uh, water quality that's moving off-site from a parcel of land. We took that concept and, oh my gosh, probably about three or four years ago in Colorado, we created, with the help of a lot of people, the STAR program that's centered around soil health, not water quality. Again, it still stands for Saving Tomorrow's Agricultural Resources, but it's based on essentially the backbone of the five principles of soil health that the NRCS promotes. And so I, I, I can't remember all of them. I'm, I'm drawing a blank here, but... You know, it's soil cover, living roots, introduction of livestock. Um, there's two others. I, I should know these off the top of my head. I've done this for so long. I probably just blank it. I'm blanking. But the, the five principles of soil health that the NRCS promotes. And then what we've done is we've created in Colorado a set of star field forms that are housed on the Colorado Department of Agriculture's star website. And these field forms were developed hand in hand with producers in different sectors of, of ag within the state of Colorado. And so we went through, I don't know how many iterations of these field forms, hand in hand with producers, to come up with a scoring system. So producers will, if they're growing corn, for example, in the state of Colorado, they can fill, fill out a field form that's geared towards corn. They're asked a number of different questions, and the questions are scored. Mm -hmm. And then the scores are accumulated, and they fall into one of five categories. So they're, And they receive a, a star placard. 
and the star placard that goes into their field or on their fence is either one, two, three, four, or five stars. One star is the producer is doing the average as to what everybody else is doing in terms of focusing on soil health within that type of agroecosystem. And mm -hmm. five is you're, you've maxed out all the soil health principles that the NRCS promotes. Getting a five-star is really, really difficult. Getting a one-star is really, really easy. And we've set this up hand-in-hand -hand with the producers to do this on purpose because not everybody should get a five-star mm -hmm. if they're only doing you know, three-star work in their field. Right, right. And so this is, this is what we've developed. And we have, I think, 11 different field forms for all sorts of different types of crops. And it might even go into uh, – we, we didn't create a field form for rangelands, did we, Steve? Uh, grazing lands, yeah. Hmm. It, it covers rangelands. Mm -hmm. But so, it, it, and oh, it's and it's um, completely voluntary. Uh, almost completely voluntary. All right. So there's part of it that's voluntary. <laughs> if a producer wants to become part of the STAR program, they can. And we also have something called STAR Plus. And this is an. This is the incentive-based program, from what mm -hmm. I remember. So, Correct, yeah. So other producers who, if they're lucky enough to get into the STAR Plus program, there are certain and additional requirements that they need to meet in order to get an incentive payment from the Colorado Department of Agriculture. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's, but the, the premise is still the same. They fill out a STAR form, they get a rating, and then... What we're trying to do in our programs is to look at these different management practices or tweak these management practices to increase the star rating from, say, a 1 to a 2 or maybe a 3 to a 4 on a particular parcel of land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did I miss anything, yeah, I mean, Steve? Basic, yeah. No, that covers it pretty well. I mean, basically the idea is to just go out and interact with these producers and just have a conversation about soil health and try to get them to, you know, they need to try out, they need to commit to trying out one of these one of the five principles of soil health, just implement a new practice that they haven't tried before mm -hmm. on either you know, a portion of their field, a whole new field, mm -hmm. and then you just see what happens. You know, and that's what, we're, that's what we've kind of started in the past couple of years. We're kind of at the, the leading edge of, of these Star Plus projects. So we don't really have any, we don't have any data coming in yet, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's been interesting just to go out there and interact with all these different folks and all these different agroecosystems. Yeah, the, you know, one of the most exciting portions of this project, or the pro it's not one project, it's multiple projects that use the STAR program. But I think one of the most exciting things is, one, working hand-in-hand -hand with producers to come up with a rating system. Two, these placards that will go out into fields. And our programs are supposedly touching about 500 producers across the state, so it's not inconsequential. Mm -hmm. And so each producer will have a placard that should be visible along some road that they live near or the, where the field is located to hopefully generate discussion and interest among other producers because we all know producers go down to the local coffee shop mm -hmm. and, and chit-chat, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they do mm -hmm. more than chit-chat. They talk about what they see. And yeah. this, this hopefully will generate some interest to get more people involved in the program. And the last thing I want to mention to you, which is part of our Climate Smart Commodities Project, is we're hoping that this star rating system will eventually end up as a market signal. So if you're a producer with a five-star rating, you might get a little bit extra when you sell your commodity on the mm -hmm. market. 
we're, mm-hmm. we're really hoping that this is what this leads to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I mean, that's good to hear that it's, uh, well, one of my, my biggest questions with that was, yeah, the adoption. Um, you know, producers and growers are notoriously slow at, at adopting new technology, new practices, uh, or at least that's the, that's the, the traditional view of, of how things go. There are, there are some early adopters in, uh, here and there. Um, but it, it's because it's such a you know, uh, risk-reward practice when it comes to agriculture, um, is that if they do see that things are working out towards their benefit, then, at least from what, from what we've seen here, then you can really start to see that shift um, in, in best practices um, from a potential, you know, from traditional practices that have been going on for, you know, a century or two um, to, or even, or even more, um, to those where, where we have uh, kind of uh, either new technology, uh, new ideas, or new uh, innovations in, in land management. Um, and so that's, that's really good to see. I was, I was interested in that incentive, like how much of an incentive uh, uh, does it take to, to generate this, uh, you know, to generate buzz or to generate uh, adoption. But it sounds like it's, it's uh, going pretty well there, at least in, in Colorado. Um, along, along with that, and uh, both of you, Steve, you talked about uh, going out and, uh, you know, visiting face-to-face with, with these growers, with producers, and communicating um, the, this, this program or the benefits to adopting this program or any other, uh, or even, yeah, if it deals with just soil health in general or other practices. Um, this is one of these questions that kind of pops up with a lot of our guests is, have you, have you felt that there's, there are um, uh, practices or techniques that you have used that have you found successful in communicating, I guess, kind of in translating scientific research to the layperson or to, in your instance, uh, with, with growers and producers? Um, is there, because a lot of times within the you know, scientific community, within academia, uh, again, we're using jargon, we're going back and forth, we're you know, publishing white papers and peer-reviewed journals. That really doesn't percolate down to the general audience, um, and especially in this case where the general audience, those growers and producers, are the ones who would benefit most from the research that you're doing. So to back this back up again, um, have you found any, or what are the points of success that you've seen in being able to communicate uh, your research to, to a lay audience? Let me give this a shot first, and because uh, I had an extension appointment at Colorado State University, and it was pretty large, and so I part of my job was to talk to producers often mm-hmm. outside of the projects that Steve and I and others have going on. But so thinking about in the context of soil health, I remember one of the first talks I gave to a producers at a producer conference. Oh my gosh, probably December twenty sixteen, and I got a lot of eye rolls when I was talking about soil health because a lot of the, there was probably over a hundred producers in this room out in Fort Morgan, Colorado, lots of eye rolls. So I realized quickly that there had to be a better way to get the point across that soil health is important. Mm -hmm. And so coming back to the point I made at the beginning of the podcast about human health, Mm -hmm. people really can understand human health. Mm-hmm. And maybe they can't wrap their heads around soil health. But when you mm-hmm. make that analogy and that comparison, it is very simple for people to see where we're coming from in terms of soil health. And that's worked really, really well for me. 
for the mm-hmm. last probably four years. I know. Have you run into those issues, Steve? I generally, we, I'll, I'll kind of take this a little different direction. Um, we rely heavily on our uh, CSU extension program in the state, and they tend to have experts, uh, agronomy type experts in different parts of the state that have experience in different agroecosystems. And these are folks that have developed relationships with, you know, producers in the area. So they, they trust, you know, they, they've built up this level of trust with the producers. So we, we rely on them to kind of, you know, also help get out the message between them and our, we have an, well, I work for the Ag Experiment Station. We mm-hmm. also have about eight Ag Experiment Stations set up across the state where they have field days and we can bring in producers and to kind of explain the research and they can see firsthand, hey, you know, we tried this different tillage method, this is what happened. And so that's kind of, so I, I rely mostly on all these other people in the field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, you, you mentioned agroecosystems. And so let's get into uh, kind of the, the meat of the conversation here. Um, you have this large, uh, federally funded grant um, project here in dealing with agroecosystem management practices and improvements to that and how it connects to soil health and uh, ecosystem sustainability, resiliency. Can you give us a little background onto this this project and, and how it came to be and and just kind of, yeah, introduce us to, to what you're hoping to do here? Yeah. <laughs> we got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you uh, there's there's more than just luck involved, but when we started in Colorado, this soil health push, really the push, the most recent push started in 2019, July 2019, and there was a lot of people interested in soil health, and that got whittled down to uh, a number of different subsets, and the subset that Steve and I run in, we have a core group of people, myself, Steve, Dr. Megan Mockmuller, um, we have uh, two people from a consulting company called Ground Up Consulting. That's Max Newmeyer and, and Helen Silver. And then we have a couple postdoc. We have at least one postdoc. Um, but the core that I just mentioned, we work really, really well together. And some people in our group have strengths and weaknesses, just like everybody else. And I think we have a pretty good handle on who has the strengths and who has weaknesses in different sectors. And when I think about being successful, Steve and I and, and Meg and Mockmuller, we have the science down. No, no doubt about it. We're really good at what we do in terms of science. I'm, I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm arrogant or anything, but we're, we've done this for a long time. So um, I think we're really good at what we do. One of the things I think scientists sometimes struggle with is being creative in terms of writing. Right. I mean, it just happens. So we have Max and Helen that are creative wizards and they can put together a proposal that is just really good looking. And we've been very successful. So we do the science, we write the science, and then they write the the other portion that makes it look sexy, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. And we have been so successful. I think we're running off of I don't know, a total of 
30 million, 34 million. I can't remember. I've lost track of the number. Uh, we have this Climate Smart Commodities Grant that totals something like 25 million. It's wow. not all coming to Colorado State University because it's split among different entities, but it's 25 mm-hmm. million. And we had another one, a Federal Conservation Innovation Grant that was, I think, 3.4 million, and then a few others. And they've mm-hmm. built upon one another to the point mm-hmm. where we've landed this Climate Smart Commodities Grant. And we're looking to the future to keep doing what we're doing now, just on, uh, you know, either in Colorado or outside of Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I want to I want to come back to that because one of the questions I wanted to ask is it, when you're talking about funding because I mean it's you know it's kind of you know do or die when it comes to to uh, grant writing and and looking for funding and and all those kinds of things and um, and so one of the questions was that that maybe we can come back to or you can answer it now and we can splice it in later but but what what makes these kinds of large projects attractive for funding. So you talked about you have you know you wrote up the science. You had somebody you know some some folks make it sound sexy and those kinds of things. What are what are some of the things that, that you felt were key to uh, to yeah to attracting uh, funding from uh, from these these uh, you know government programs or uh, or funding agencies? Well, I think the, the key for this Climate Smart Commodities Grant was the fact that we've built this program from the ground up, hand in hand with producers, and we've been lucky to score or land or receive relatively smaller grants that have led to bigger grants that have led to this Climate Smart Commodities Grant. And so, you know, being successful in grant development and grant receiving is building a program. And we've been lucky enough to build this program. And so you write a grant like the Climate Smart Commodities Grant, and you can put data into that grant that you have from previous grants that are focused on identical topics. And we, so we, to be successful, we've been really focused. Like mm-hmm. our group has been completely focused on soil health. And when you build out something this large, you have to bring other people on board. And I'm a scientist, Steve's a scientist. I won't speak for him, but we've brought in sociologists to to take a look at how the STAR program will develop and unfold mm-hmm. on a, a, a socio scale or socioeconomic mm-hmm. scale. And mm-hmm. I, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so we have sociologists and economists that are going to do that for us. Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. just makes this project this much bigger. Got it. So let's, let's get into this. Let's, let's yeah, dive into the weeds. What are, what are the main, you know, problems or questions that you're, you're looking to uh, to answer or dig into when it comes to uh, the project here. Well, there's a there's a project I'm working on that's kind of it's outside of these star programs, but it's so, it's soil health because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what we do around here apparently. But yeah, we're looking at there's a project we're looking at uh, degraded rangelands in mm-hmm. southeastern Colorado, and just different conditions where they've been overgrazed in the past, and there's also there's a trend, I won't go into a lot of detail, but the municipalities, I mean, water, as water becomes more and more scarce and more expensive, um, there's lands that are bought up that used to be irrigated, but then they're just allowed to kind of return, mm-hmm. re- uh, return to a dryland state because they, the cities want to use the water for something else, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. municipalities. So then, you know, you're left with the task of, so what do we do to these lands that are no longer being irrigated? And, you know, how do we kind of improve them? You know, do we incorporate grazing, or what kind of amendments can we add? So it's been a, it's been an interesting challenge. But we've been going out working with these ranchers. It, it's been kind of a almost a bottom up 
approach. It's like go out to them and say, hey, show me some fields that you're having problems with, you know, and, and we'll kind of talk about why. And then we, we've set up some plots on some of these kind of degraded or for lack of a better word, areas. And we're just trying some different techniques to see, you know, if we can improve the productivity of the rangeland mm -hmm. uh, for their, and these are all, you know, graze, cattle graze lands. Let me, uh, let me add something about our, our bigger picture across yeah. the state of Colorado. So what we're trying to do, and this is complicated because I, I can't give you a really good answer as to what we're going to find. I guess that's the premise behind the science is, you know, it's exciting and it's new. And so what we're trying to do is look at across the state of Colorado and adjacent states, what management practices work and mm -hmm. which ones don't in terms mm -hmm. of improving soil health and concomitantly improving soil water or available soil water. So these two go hand in hand. That's really what we're doing. You know, to be honest with you, if you were to take a, like a 30,000 foot view look on the projects that we're running, it's really all about water, especially mm -hmm. in the Western US. And soil mm -hmm. health is just tagging along for the ride, to be honest with you. Right, but we right. are looking at trying to improve soils so they're resilient and sustainable and can hold on to water for a longer period of time and supply water to crops. And so we're trying to find sweet spots in terms of management practices across the state. And so the idea is, this is just an idea, I'm not sure if this is how this is going to work out or not, but we break the state down into different types of cropping systems or agroecosystems, or we break the state down into different ecoregions, mm -hmm. or we break the state down into some other type of format that makes sense so we can piece this soil health, water health, or water quality or water quantity puzzle mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. to help producers across the state of Colorado. And I don't know how it's gonna flesh out, but it's going to flesh out one way or the other. Well, I was gonna say, and no matter how we end up breaking it out, I mean, the big, the big hurdle is always variability yeah. because I mean, there's variability in soils, even within these different practices, their variability. I mean, like people use different kind of cover crops. There's different kind of tillage practices, even on a conservation tillage side of things. <clears throat> so that's why we're trying to, you know, I mean, that's always going to be a struggle, but we're trying to, you know, try to get hundreds of growers involved in this so we can at least maybe kind of get slightly, you know, kind of clear things up a little bit, maybe in some of these different systems. Right, right. So what are some of the, uh, I guess, what are some of the parameters then that you are looking at and, and how are you, how are you getting at them? How are you measuring and, and quantifying those? Well, we're, we're certainly casting a large net and that's the beauty of doing research is, you know, if you have the funding, you can cast a large net. And so we, yeah. we we're doing this on purpose because we want to <laughs> collect more data than not enough data. And so, right, right. If you're in the sciences field, like Steve and I have been in for over 30 years, you, you always invariably look over your shoulder and said, I should have, I should have collected this. Mm -hmm. I should have collected mm -hmm. that. So with these projects, I, I feel like we haven't, we, we won't do that. We won't look over our shoulder and say, we should have done this because we're mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. And we're collecting a lot of data with the hopes to whittle the data set down to something manageable for producers in the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we're collecting soil physical characteristics, biological characteristics, chemical characteristics, nutrient characteristics. We're collecting, oh, sooner or later, we're going to be collecting some microbiome characteristics, which are a little bit outside of, um, I guess, both of our expertise, but we have other people that will be doing this for us. To put a, a puzzle together that makes sense across however we break this out across the state. So, so say, for instance, if you're, if you're dealing, you're, you're measuring all the various soil characteristics, let's break that down. What are, what are some of the, those characteristics that you're measuring? How are you measuring those? Yeah, well, there's things like uh, aggregate stability. I mean, you can, you take a soil sample, I mean, all this stuff you take back to the lab right. and you're doing some sort of extraction, but like what well, aggregate stability, there's a, in a civil engineering department, build a device that Jim uses in his lab to it basically it just kind of agitates the sample over mm -hmm. time and you see how well it holds together. Right. Right. And yeah, there's different extractants to pull out, you know, like what kind of nutrients are available to plants, nitrogen, phosphorus, all the major nutrients like that. It might end, uh, micronutrients as well right yeah on the you know in addition to water aggregate or wet aggregate stability we measure bulk density so mm -hmm. we'll actually collect a sample that's separate from all the other samples we collect in the field to measure how dense or how dense the soil is i guess it's the bulk density mm -hmm. um we collect soils for in terms of biological we're looking at currently well, organic carbon is at the center. And then we look at microbial biomass carbon. We look at something called beta-glucosidase activity, which is a measurement. It's, it's an enzyme assay for uh, how easily microorganisms can degrade cellulosic material in soil. So like mm -hmm. some of the basic mm -hmm. or relatively easy materials to decompose. Mm -hmm. We look at something called, and Steve alluded to this, we look at potentially mineralizable nitrogen. So how much nitrogen is present in an organic form that could be mineralized over a certain period of time. And we've looked at other assays in the past, some enzyme assays, but I think we're, at least the climate smart commodities, we might be doing some uh, microbiome type assays where we're looking at uh, structure and function of microorganisms within systems. And then of course, we're you know looking at pH and electrical conductivity and like Steve mentioned nutrient concentrations both macro and micronutrients and there's there's probably some other things oh water holding capacity in the mm -hmm. lab on like pressure plates we're mm -hmm. supposedly doing that as well it mm -hmm. it's a big list yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so with that with that big list I mean um, what then are you've talked about dealing with yeah collecting collecting a bunch of data you've talked about you know the the spatial variability or variability with, you know, land use. Um, are, are there any, I guess, what would you consider your, your biggest hurdle in, and in putting out this large amount of, of instrumentation or collecting all this, this, this data here? Is it, is it, is it the time? Is it, um, is it just the, I mean, you've, you've, you've got the, the funding now, so you can, you can purchase the equipment. You can pay for that time. But it, are there are there other things that that you see that you have seen or foresee as as major hurdles in in collecting all of this data? With the soil moisture monitoring in these agro ecosystems, you've got to deal with. I mean, these aren't like well, it's not like a forest where you can just put these in the ground and walk away. Mm -hmm. There's these are actively you know managed fields mm -hmm. that are being tilled and all these other practices. So 
when we started out, we were putting the systems like right in the middle of the field because you know we wanted to get like the best representative spot we could find. But you know, then they'd get knocked over and damaged, and we'd have to pull them back out, mm-hmm. depending on whether they were harvesting or tilling. Mm-hmm. And that was only with like a ten or twelve sites. But now that we've got now we're, we're ramping this up with dozens and dozens of sites, we're trying to we really had to think about a different way to do this. Right. So we just were working with a meter to kind of, well, we, I mean, basically we just extended the cables so we can put the logger in at the edge of the field and then run the cable in. And then we work with the grower to try to find a depth. We usually put them in at six inches, but we try to find a depth where we can leave them in. Right. Hopefully for the duration of the project for three or four years. Right, right. Because it's just, we just, logistically, it's just too hard to run back and forth. Yeah. On installing and uninstalling, so yeah. it's yeah, it's been challenging. Yeah, yeah. And Colorado is such a big state that if you have a, a site like we do, we're going to be installing these at locations that are eight hours from Fort Collins. So if something goes sideways, to jump in a car and drive eight hours to splice a cable together, <laughs> and then drive eight hours back is yeah. a real challenge. So yeah. yeah, Steve's taken the lead on this. Well, and it's been great because. You, oh, we've bought a trencher too to help with the installs because if we have 500 of these devices to put out um yeah that unless you want like really big forearms like popeye or something i mean the trencher is really handy yeah, yeah. i i think you know I'm a, I'm a lab rat mostly and i think about the bottleneck on that side is just hands having people Mm-hmm. So the Climate Smart Commodities Grant, when it starts rolling, some sometime next year, we're going to have about 300, almost 400 soil samples come back into the lab. And all that analysis needs to be done. And I can tell you from experience that that will take at least a year to get done it, it, with the people that we have. So we need to hire more people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and our <laughs> space is limited. So we need more space. So mm-hmm. fun. Um, so, so what are, what are the, um, I mean, we can talk about any preliminary results that, uh, but, um, but what are the, the primary, um, hypotheses that you're testing or do you, um, I guess what are your, your expectations with, with connecting, like you said, connecting these, you know, agroecosystem management practices to soil health and ecosystem sustainability resiliency? Yeah, that's a good question. I picked up on the word hypothesis. And so <laughs> this this is a tough one to crack because, you know, it's a general hypothesis. But if a producer is following one of the or all of the five principles of soil health, the hypothesis would be that soil health would increase in a system. Right. And that's mm-hmm. a cheesy answer. But that's mm-hmm. that's the answer I can give you, because the way we've set this this whole project up and the STAR program in Colorado is to allow the producer to make the decision on what they want to change in terms of management. So it's flipping the research upside down, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. You know, as mm-hmm. researchers, we come up with the ideas and hypotheses, and then we we set up the project and test them. But we're not doing that in this project. The farmers, they're installing the new management practice, and then we just, we kind of go with it. Right. So in some respects, we're flying a little bit without a hypothesis. Kind of an exploratory a of, research there. 
Yeah, I mean, and things like, I mean, we're always trying to improve or increase organic matter in the soil, but that, right, that right. can take a while. Yeah. It can, you know, it can exceed the life of a, a grant. So it's kind of, so you might not see the, you know, these changes within three years. Right, right. Which is, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect to, but so that makes it kind of challenging. Yeah. You know, one of the nice things about the Climate Smart Commodities Grant is I think we could potentially eke out five years with this. And so from my experience, having worked in Colorado for a really long period of time, you know, these are the places where if you're going to see a change in carbon, you're going to see a change in carbon in the Western U.S. if you do something positive. And that's because our carbon content is organic carbon content is so low to begin with. So mm -hmm. if you make an incremental change, it could be huge, to be honest with you. You know, if you go mm -hmm. from one point five to two percent, that's that's huge. It's only a half a percent change. But if you do that in a system that has low carbon to begin with, like mm -hmm. in Colorado, you're going to see more of an improvement than if you went for a half percent change in carbon content in a soil in Minnesota that already starts with seven and a half percent carbon. So right. right. Um, <laughs> this is where I, my gut is telling me that this is where we're going to see the best bang for our buck in terms of return on investment for improving carbon in our soils. It's going to be mm -hmm. um, in the Western United States. We're going to see drastic improvements. And I'll tell you from some of my experiences with other soil health projects that if you do things, quote, right, you might see a change in less than five years. In fact, mm -hmm. We had a project over on the western slope of Colorado where we saw changes in three years in terms of organic carbon accumulation in the soil surface in three years. Have you have you had any um, any uh, issues or challenges in in collaborating with with I guess again the the idea of the collaboration between growers and academics um, within this this project itself. We talked about communication with with them. Are you is this is this something? Are, well, let me back this up. Are are these when you're going out are, um, and installing or measuring um, the the assumption is that you're working with growers and not just on experimental fields is is that is that correct? Yeah, we have a huge. Most of these are these are their fields. Right. They yeah. Used to grow what they're growing, and we, I mean, we utilize we we didn't really bring up the um, we have a series of conservation districts mm -hmm. throughout the state of Colorado, and and other entities like that, but it's kind of up to them. I mean, like they, they apply mm -hmm. to the Department of Ag and say, hey, we want to, we think we can bring on 10 producers in right. our conservation district. Right. So then, so we rely on these guys to, you know, who already have these relationships with the growers and mm -hmm. built this trust. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it makes a big difference. And they, you know, and again, the producers don't have to, I mean, it's all voluntary. So Right, right. And Jim, you talked about the, you know, in, you know, potentially increasing carbon by, you know, there in the, in, in the semi-arid West, um, by, you know, half a percent would be huge, but do you, do you see other, other potential impacts of, um, of projects like these, this project or projects like these on, on agriculture? Um, and I guess kind of the implications for, for Colorado, the region, and maybe potentially the, the, the world at large. Well, I do. And I, when you ask a question like that, I come back immediately back to the STAR program. And so I recently moved from Colorado State University to Ohio State University, and I'm trying to instill the STAR program within some proposals that we're writing currently to expand this idea of using STAR to quantify soil health, not only in Colorado, but then, of course,
course, the Western U.S. with this Climate Smart Commodities Grant, but bringing that concept to the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's some real opportunities. And we, in Colorado, did, a, I think, a really good job developing that program to the point where, you know, it can't, I don't think, be lifted directly out of Colorado, but you could take that and then tweak the content in the STAR program to a particular state or region across the, the United States and probably the globe, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's the benefit of what we've done in the state of Colorado. And I would just add that, I mean, the one thing we haven't talked about is erosion. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these practices help keep the soil in place. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't have soil health without soil. So <laughs> <laughs> right. if you're keeping litter on the surface, if you're, you know, all these different practices, cover crops, having that living root in there, just kind of anchoring the soil, keeping it around, things mm-hmm. that, you know, didn't happen back in the Dust Bowl days. So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So looking, let's see, Jim, you said you might be able to uh, stretch this out to five years, a five-year project, but looking looking there at the end, or even, um, I guess, looking into the future, what, what do you see as the, the future of, of this research? What do you see? You've talked about expanding, growing, expanding projects and building project upon project. And what do you see as the future of, of this research project uh, as it moves forward? Yeah, that's a great question. So the Climate Smart Commodities Project is really mostly Colorado-centric, but it also encompasses five states that abut the Rocky Mountain backbone. So mm-hmm. New Mexico, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho. Mm-hmm. All of the land-grant institutions within those five states and Colorado State University are working on this project. So mm-hmm. the concept is we've built, we've built a really strong program focused on soil health and the SAR program in Colorado. And we want to send feelers out to mm-hmm. these adjacent states to see if something like this would work in those states. And to be honest with you, Max Newmeyer and Helen Silver have already held discussions with the state of Wyoming, mm-hmm. and they're put, they're putting together a soil health program, much like in Colorado. And they've reached out to other states. I know they're working in the state of Washington to do the same thing. And the state of Washington's on the periphery of the Climate Smart Commodities Project. But the, the concept is is to not make this Colorado-centric, but make it right. Western-centric and then make it nation-centric. So we actually have helped, we, <laughs> there's people that are working on this at the star central location or whatever you would call it in Illinois to make mm-hmm. this a reality across the U.S., that's what I'd like to see. That would be really cool. Steve, any thoughts on the future of this kind of research? Uh, other than just, I mean, the more we can make this data available to the producers and show them that, hey, it really works, mm-hmm. you know, and hopefully not only does it work, but hopefully they'll be seeing increases in yield as mm-hmm. their soil health improves. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, they're not going to I mean, they're not growing soil, they're growing crops, right? But right. You, of course, you need good soil to get good crops. So hopefully, this this will go hand in hand. As they improve the soil, they'll see yields increasing. And right. then, you know, they won't just, you know, try it on one field. They'll, you know, adopt it over larger portions of their operation. So, Right. So right. I'll just add to this. So the dream, <laughs> this is probably pretty crazy. It's a crazy statement coming from somebody who writes proposals to bring in research dollars to do work. But the dream would be to not have to work on soil health ever again. 
And that may sound crazy, <laughs> but imagine if you could develop a program that just fine-tuned every single system to a number or a short set of indicators that we know mm -hmm. tell you the story of soil health. Or if you could use the star forms that, and this is what we're gonna do, we're gonna match up the star forms data to the data we collect in the laboratory. And imagine if you could take just a form that a producer fills out that would tell you what the health of the soil is without having to do the work in the lab. To me, that is really what I'd like to see happen. So people like myself and Steve and others, we can start focusing on other topics of importance and keep this simple. If, if there could be a simple, there probably is not a simple, but that's the dream. Right, right. Well, any other final thoughts or other things that you'd like to share with our audience about what we've talked about or beyond what we've talked about here? I'll, I'll tell you, we're, we're working, and this is outside of the Climate Smart Commodities, but you know, Steve mentioned his work in rangelands, uh, these degraded rangelands. And so we actually have a soil health program where we're looking at using soil health principles and practices and quantification in mine land reclamation which is mm -hmm. really fun mm -hmm. because those systems mm -hmm. are really, they're like these degraded rangelands that Steve's working on. They're just very wacky. You know, they might be contaminated with heavy metals beyond the point where plants can mm -hmm. grow. And so looking at mm -hmm. practices to improve these, to grow something, to reduce erosion, like Steve mentioned, and to improve soil health and plant health and hopefully animal health because browsing, you know, browsing animals come through these areas and ultimately right. environmental health. So it's like a one health concept, if you will. This is what we do. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're out of time, but I maybe we'll have you back to talk more about yeah, rangelands and reclaimed mining and um, biogeochemical cycling and forever chemicals and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, those are fun things for, for potential future episodes. We'll see. <laughs> all right. Um, I think that's it. Our time's up for today. Thanks again, Steve and Jim. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. And it's been a great conversation. So thanks again. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time on We Measure the World. <laughs>